0: okay howdy folks john freeze here with down with the dharma with my co-host chris johnson how's it going chris
1: good hi john
0: um so today i'm going to be asking chris questions based on research i'm doing for my dissertation so um uh, chris and i both have been um students of or Explorers of what is considered by some scholars as early Buddhism. Uh, in particular, we studied and took classes with Dr. Chu at University of the West, and he—he's on your committee, right? He's your—is he your chair? Or yeah,
2: yeah. He
0: is. So Dr. William Chu at University of the West um, got me connected to understanding early Buddhist teaching as compared to later Buddhist teaching in the Pali Canon and uh so i guess chris and i both have just been interested in that topic for a long time and i think i think chris is even more into it than i am so that's why i wanted to ask chris questions um so yeah so like uh basically just i'm writing my dissertation and then i I make certain claims but i don't know if they're totally true or not so i was gonna (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm wanting to okay. ask you this is an excuse to ask you questions i've always wanted to ask but we didn't have like a structure to just go deeply and systematically into it so uh so the the this is an excuse to do that
1: i'll get my uh, divining pool into the past of ancient Buddhists.
0: Uh... right <laughs> yeah if you have yeah we're open to different sources of finding out answers here yeah um okay so so yeah, so in the dissertation, I'm I'm comparing Vipassana meditation as taught by Gawinka with somatic experiencing, which is a body-centered trauma therapy, and so I'm into this understanding of early Buddhist meditation as like being focused on body sensation and um, the links of dependent origination, and so yeah, I'm wanting to explore how early those teachings are and in relation to uh later theravada scholastic teaching which um as we as we talk you'll it'll become clear like okay let, okay let's just say how will we characterize the difference i see one like the early buddhist teaching seems to be more of a yogic practice and it's just it's focused on the practice of meditation itself and it's not necessarily trying to make sweeping metaphysical truth claims about the nature of reality, it's more like practical, just this is what you do to practice meditation to get certain results. Um, so, would you say that's like one way of roughly distinguishing between early Buddhist teaching and later Buddhist when we're talking about the Pali Canon?
1: By and large, I think that that would be uh, an excellent way to divide uh, earlier uh, periods of Buddhism. Um, you do find uh, claims about uh, ontology and nature of reality and a, a kinds of ways to understand the world that you don't find in the, the early texts, so or the early strata, I should say. Um, so I, I think that's a safe a safe uh, line to draw.
0: Right. And that what, what was interesting to me then is that early buddhism was an oral tradition whereas uh, later scholastic theravada buddhism was into the reading and writing and so that's that's a significant shift in terms of how buddhism was practiced how it was taught going from an oral tradition to a written tradition
1: i think writing brings uh, about a whole host of changes across uh, Indian traditions in general, and and Buddhism shifts dramatically. Uh, We have new entire forms of Buddhism that are arising uh, with writing. Uh, I also believe meditation techniques and and such are influenced by the changes that are happening that coincide with writing.
0: Right, right. So... So we're both into Vipassana meditation as taught by S.N. Goenka, who's this Indian teacher that lived in Burma for a long time. And he studied with Uba Keen, who is a lay Buddhist teacher. And their practice is awareness of breathing at the nose and then body scan meditation. And it's mainly just, the, the main gist of it is you're focusing on body sensation and recognizing, is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? and then you're noticing, are there any reactions coming up to those sensations? So you distinguish between the reaction and the sensation itself, and you try to let go of the reaction and just come back to the sensation. So that's like, um, I, I think of it as like sensory behavioral uh, <laughs> approach. Whereas later, the like Mahasi, Mahasi Sai Rha Vipassana, which has become, one of the predominant forms within the so-called Western Vipassana movement. And it's, it's, there's awareness of breathing in the belly. And then it's cognitively labeling the breath and then cognitively labeling whatever phenomena arises, but it's not, it's not privileging the focus on sensation. It's more like sensation could be one thing that you focus on, but there's other things that you could focus on and you're just kind of in the present uh, cognitively labeling whatever's arising.
1: Yeah, I I think that's, I think that's a really good um, way to to make a distinction between those two. Um, The Mahasi technique is much more cognitive Mm -hmm. uh, and going to techniques. Yeah. Have to experience and kind of shut off the interpretations of experience and uh, let them come and go as, as they, as they do. Yeah, Especially
0: whereas categorizing them in the Mahasi, right? The, so the 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 teaching on the three marks of existence that all conditioned phenomena are impermanent, suffering, and no self, and so it's basically like you're you're labeling whatever phenomena is arising, and then you're reflecting on the fact that it's impermanent, suffering, and no self. And so it's that's that's different from aware of sensation. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and the reaction and letting go of the reaction. So that's uh, two different two different ways of like framing your experience of what you're doing as you meditate. The, um,
1: the, the stories you might hear about the, the retreats uh, also might reflect that. You think of um, the retreats uh, or stories you hear about Mahasi retreats versus Goenka. The Goenka retreats, you hear a lot of um, talk of just the physical
0: endurance right Uh, uh, yeah
1: and people have
0: to go through yeah it's more boot camp i don't know i I haven't done an ims retreat so i can't say but i know it's like you alternate between sitting and walking Mm. uh whereas is pretty much you're just sitting the whole time and then yeah going you're just in touch with body sensation the whole time like that's all you're doing uh okay so let's uh OK, so I'll ask my kind of first official question. OK, so Goenka Vipassana, one of the main frameworks they use is the links of dependent origination. And that's the teaching attributed to the Buddha, which says that the, the process of rebirth within the present lifetime in the in the discourse summaries, which is a book of summaries of Goenka's talks during the 10-day retreat. Um, he doesn't call it the five links of dependent origi- origination but he, he he talks about the links of dependent origination and he talks about five links he doesn't say this is the five links but he talks about five <laughs> so um so it's contact sensation craving grasping becoming that those are the five links out of the in the pali canon there's different teachings with different number of links but the one that goenka focuses on is the five links so, so one question I have is, how, how early is the teaching on the links of dependent origination? Um, the way Gawinkas talking about it, do we know how early that is?
1: Well, I, I think the, the core concepts
0: of dependent mm-hmm. origination are as old as, as if anything
1: probably have in, in the canon. It comes down to understanding <clears throat> cause and effect in relationship to the mind and the arising of suffering. Right? Um, <clears throat> and the, the formula is formulated and reformulated uh, at different times through the canon from two links or, or, or one link between two phenomena up to 12. And we find different iterations throughout the canon. Uh, some people say that the fewer the links the older the formula that's that's mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. yeah so I, i'd definitely say that this is um in in it's more primitive articulations mm-hmm. of, at the heart of, of what we find in the early teachings
0: right so so one of the common uh, the common ways it's presented within theravada buddhism is the 12 links of dependent origination and some some traditions talk about that as representing uh three lifetimes a a previous lifetime a present lifetime and a future lifetime and the present lifetime consists of the five links um and so that teaching on the 12 links may be something somewhat later or i guess the point is that the 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 teaching of the links of dependent origination that concept it may be a concept that got developed later but the actual guts of the process is there early on absolutely right right okay so then so this is my what i'm interested in is um from Ajahn sujato who is a australian monk in the thai forest tradition in the Ajahn cha tradition so this is what i'm really i'm interested in govinka vipassana and then the the Ajahn cha thai forest tradition those are like the two main sources I've looked at. And then I know you've looked a lot at Tani Sarabuku and, and that Thai forest tradition as well. Um, so Ajahn Sujato, he, did, he wrote this book called The History of Mindfulness. And then he says that the 16 exercises of mindfulness of breathing, also known as the Anapanasati uh, teachings, that he sees that as like one of the oldest teachings in the Pali canon. And that it's also found in other three other canons that are um, have early that are considered early or contain early texts in it. Um, so what's your take on that? What's your take on Ajahn Sujato's take that the 16 exercises are possibly representative of the ol- of the oldest level of layer of teachings?
1: I I, I definitely agree with uh, Sujato on, on that one. And I think he did a, a masterful job of exploring um, Anapanasati uh, and mindfulness uh, in the early early canon and, and its development into the later formulations that, that are current in use today.
0: Yeah, so, so there's um, two famous meditation discourses in the Pali Canon, the Anapanasati Sutta. Sutta means discourse, so it's, The mindfulness of breathing discourse, and then the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the establishment of mindfulness discourse. And so the the establishment of mindfulness discourse is seen to be a later text, whereas Anapanasati Sutta is considered to be an earlier text. And then according to Ajahn Sujato, within the Anapanasati Sutta, there's the 16 exercises. And he's saying that that seems to be the oldest the oldest element within the Anapanasati Sutta. I, th-
1: I think I think he's right. I think if you look uh, a textual study, uh, that mm-hmm. appears certainly to be true. And if you look at the actual teachings themselves, the the content that also rings true. The Satipatthana Sutta has practices. It's very formulated. Uh, you know. the Anupanasati sutta, it's it's much shorter and it has pretty much one uh, track Mm -hmm. that you follow. Mm -hmm. It's one certain just process to to achieve one thing. Whereas Satipatthana has, um, the the sutta is um, many different practices uh, to do Uh, to to practice this so it's sort of I think an elaboration on the the core the the more basic teachings
0: right and so that's what Ajahn Sudhapta says in that book History of Mindfulness that like people used to think Satipatthana was the oldest because it was the longest and then the smaller discourses talking about Satipatthana were kind of just later later more Smaller focus on some smaller issue based on the Satipatthana Sutta, whereas Ajahn Sudhato seems to he says it's the other way around that the shorter the shorter texts are probably the oldest ones, and then the later Satipatthana Sutta is kind of like a greatest hits uh, collection of a bunch of things that that was compiled later.
1: Yeah, that, I mean is—that that is, that is how it reads. It's—it's it's like, hey, these are the techniques to to practice in, in these various mm-hmm. uh, mo- modes of um, mindfulness. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: The of, of the ones that have worked.
0: Right. Yeah. So this idea that the discourse is representing a tradition that's carrying, it's it's a it's carrying a contemplative practice forward, but then with the rise of scholasticism and Buddhism, it's also um, the development of You know, the the Abhidhamma and like, you know, the the teaching that we just said, the three marks of existence, all conditioned phenomena, impermanent suffering and no self. So it's like, once they started thinking about these things, I'm I'm assuming they just, they gamed out all the different scenarios, right? (laughs) Like logically. So it represents a scholarly tradition, we could say, of people thinking all these things through um, from a more scholastic level. And it, it may or may not be directly connected with meditation practice because you have the rise of monasteries that become more kind of like universities um certainly,
2: certainly.
0: yeah okay so this uh, so the the discourse on mindfulness of breathing it has the 16 exercises and some people Commonly, Well, they commonly say that within that is what's what's become known as the Four Establishments of Mindfulness, the Satiputana, the term itself. Okay, so we, we, it's it's become common to call it the Four Establishments of Mindfulness, but the literal translation is just Sati, which is mindfulness, and Puthana, which means establishing. The number four is not there. Uh, so do you know how the number four got in there?
1: um just somebody stuck it on the, <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> on the front of their translation and it's stuck I
0: would, uh, and it
1: could put it on a book cover
0: okay so you're saying okay th- i mean this is my sneaking suspicion but i don't have any uh, evidence but is by is calling it the four establishments is that a later western scholastic term or is the the term the four establishments something that's in Theravada Buddhism, before colonialism?
1: Uh, I think it's in um, in the Theravada. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be listed in, in one of the Buddha's many uh, lists that he gives, where he gives numbers of things. And so you will find uh, the four establishments probably in the book of fours and a list of Things that are numbers
0: of four. Okay, so in terms of like being able to remember the teachings, the oral tradition, which was to preserve the teachings through the chanting, and one way to do that is have numbers, and that helps you remember them.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I, I think that 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 is the case. I can't sign it off.
0: Because it seems like the concept itself. Is like an added layer of complexity. If you just look at the sixteen exercises, you don't necessarily have to break it down into four establishments. Um, it seems like that's like a an added layer of complexity of how you would in, how you would interpret the sixteen practices. Right. Yeah. But having said that, okay. So this is the okay. So. Um, you have, okay, so so it's 16 exercises, and it's normally broken down into four sets of four practices. Uh, so the first four are usually about kaya, which is translated as body. And then the second group of four is vedana, which is translated as sensation. Some people, Goinka translates it as sensation, uh, Mahasi Vipassana translates it as um, feeling or feeling tone um so right there that's an interesting distinction um okay and then the third set is uh dealing with the the poly word is citta c-i-t-t-a citta and that's translated as mind or heart mind and then the final four are on uh it's the category of dhamma which is this is another early buddhism dhamma just means the teaching of the buddha whereas later scholastic buddhism dhamma means phenomenon like a phenomenon that you can be aware of or an object of mind so what i what i've kind of in comparing the four establishments of mindfulness with Taoist yogic practice in Taoism, they'll talk about uh the body posture and then the breath energy and then the heart mind and then, a, like an opening to a deeper uh, ground of being or a deeper context of some kind. So, my this is one of my hypotheses is maybe the four establishments is is like a yogic structure or a yogic framework. So the that kaya can represent body posture and dealing dealing with the body in a certain way, and then vedana seems to be dealing with you're dealing with sensation but more in relation to emotion because you're dealing with sensation as pleasant unpleasant neutral and then the citta is more yeah you're focusing on the heart mind okay so to me then it seems like when you when you get into the dhamma talking about the dhamma you're not adding a new phenomenological structure to focus on it seems like the first three are are the structure itself that it's kaya vedana and chitta whenever you're doing the 16 exercises you're focusing on one or a combination of those things so it's the first three i I think of as just the contemplative structure that's being focused on and then the buddha adds the dhamma as something that goes into that but it's not it's not giving a whole new category of something to be aware of it's more you're always focusing on body sensation or heart mind uh, and then you're reflecting on that within the context of the Dhamma, but you're not adding another category like of things to be aware of.
1: Um, <clears throat> so, so you're saying that the, 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 the category of, of Dhammas is not the focus or not, let right?
0: Okay, so, the, okay, let me, is, this is sounding very kind of vague and opaque. Okay, this is one of my hypotheses is, if you look at the 16 exercises, the, fir- the first four, it's like, you're aware of the body. Well, for, you're aware of the breathing. You're aware of the breathing if it's long or short. Then you're aware of the body. And that means like aware of the whole body. And like, um, you're aware of bodily fabrications. And then, and then the fourth one is you're calming the bodily fabrications. So to me, that that seems to be an example of dependent origination, that you're aware of something, and then you're calming something down. So the way Goenka talks about it is you're aware of sensation as one of the five links, and then you're aware of sankaras that arise from the sensations, and then you're calming the sankaras. So could we say then that... The sixteen exercises um, are representing different examples of the links of dependent origination taking place. Uh,
1: yes, and I, I think um, I think you'll find that correlation between uh, meditation practice and dependent origination throughout, and you'll find it in multiple um it it's not going to turn up in just one pattern you'll, you'll right. find that it that it that it shows up layered and and, and mm-hmm. different ways yeah.
0: not just the 16 exercises but other other like okay so that the, the four noble truths it could also be seen as an example of dependent origination
1: yeah and you can you can um you can look at Different links in in the in the dependent origination, correlating to the practice in different ways too. Because you'll find within the links, you'll find subsets of the other links. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah they're like they kind of overlap with each other. Right. Yeah. The,
1: the uh, metaphor that I think uh, Ajahn Jeff uses is a, a fractal for the. Mm-hmm. Um, the dependent the, the origination. I'm sorry if I'm wrong about that. I, I believe he, he, he did say that. But um, when I um, teach the uh, links to students, um, I'll start out with a very simple drawing of a direct one to one link. And then I'll, I'll, I'll do a circle. So how things mm-hmm. are linked. And then I'll make kind of a little bit messier picture. And as as we're exploring the links and seeing how they are more complex than a simple uh, back and forth or a simple chain, um, and I end up with the last picture is just a giant scribble. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: where everything is just connected in every uh, different way. Yeah,
0: so that, yeah. Like so, so Ajahn Jeff, uh, A.K.A. Tani Sarabiku, um, his book, The Paradox of Becoming. He he goes in depth into the process of becoming and becoming within the links of dependent duration is, is one of the links in the chain, but it's also, you could say becoming is representing the whole process overall. Like, um, you could say the process of becoming is made up of the links. And then within that, there's certain ways of saying, talking about the links where
2: uh-huh.
0: so, so Goenka says, okay the main thing is focusing on sensation and then the the reactive emotions and it's well it's okay sankara means fabrication and that means it could be you have a sensation and then there could be a reaction that's another sensation or you could have a reaction that's an emotion but of course emotion is made up of sensation and a cognitive story but the what Goinka says is that the, the place where the rubber hits the road is body sensation and then the reactions that come up. And so you're letting go of the reactions and going back to the sensation. So he gives a very cut and dry way of understanding the links where this is where you really want to focus, and this is where this is where the action is, basically. <laughs> yeah. So 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 Tani Saro has he doesn't just isolate that one zone as the only zone to focus on, in terms of like where you can disrupt the chain.
1: Right. Um, you know, I I, I I often hear about that that link in the chain, right? There, feeling that's where the, you you want to break it. Um, very often, um, but I think Tennyson's um, kind of teachings um, find that any of the 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 links are, are equally uh, approachable for. Uh, discernment, wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, learning something, and <clears throat> my own, and this is my own uh, reading in the way I read, um, and, and maybe approach it, and so it's probably filtered through my own lenses. Um, is that when I read him or hear him, and also my own self, I always seem to see a heavy focus on the clinging. Mm-hmm. the upadana and the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the craving and in the links that's kind of where a lot of the emphasis falls at least on my ears and maybe that's because yeah. that's where he's tuned. that might not yeah. be really his own emphasis that he's making but uh, that's certainly where i kind of like. but you you see these uh like feeling or perception as a link there's a link the link of feeling right well mm-hmm. feeling is also Within the uh, other other links as well, so feeling is also part of sankhara. That's mental fabrications, right? And you find perception as part of sankhara, but that's also part of name and form. And so, as feeling is in name and form, so you see how there's actually yeah. this underlying structure where they're all connected, mm-hmm. uh, much more than being real separate individual things.
0: Yeah, yeah. When you get when you get in, it's like yeah, it's just this big network, like you're saying, a fractal, and you can't you can't isolate things. It's all it's it's all so interconnected, you can't isolate it.
1: You're just looking for that one loose string somewhere. You need know, pull it, and just the right. right one starts to unravel the the pattern.
0: Right. Um,
1: Lifetimes to find that. string.
0: Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, so another another like so the way I first encountered the teaching on the links uh, was with Ajahn Sumedho and his commentary on the four noble truths. And again, it's this is he doesn't explicitly say this is the links of dependent origination, but he keeps saying over and over you're in the present moment. uh, And then you're aware of craving arising, and then you can either act on the craving or let go and not act on it. And so, if you act on it, that's the link of grasping. Upadana is grasping. That's uh, so he doesn't. He doesn't. He's not like Gewinka, where he talks about contact and sensation so much. He's more Ajahn Sumedho is more talking about you're just you're in the present. You're aware of craving, and then you practice letting go of it. But but that is that is the practice of the links of dependent. <laughs> like, like that is he's getting at the heart of it, even though he doesn't say it out loud um and he said that uh in in Ajahn Chah's monasteries like the four noble truths and then that that particular practice you're in the present moment you're aware of when a craving arises and you let go of the craving he's saying that that was like the core thing that um everyone was doing within that tradition within the ajanta tradition so we can yeah so have you read that? I mean, it's a classic commentary on the, the Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta, the turning of the, the turning of the wheel of Dhamma. Um, have you read that commentary and how do you see it relating to yeah?
1: Yeah, I, I have. Um, it, it's uh, I haven't read it in, in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. but it it is it's it's really good. I um, I do see that um, applying the Four Noble Truths to any link in the chain is kind of the um, the tactic, you
2: right. know.
1: Whatever whatever aspect it is, you use the fruits of the approach to that that instance, and it's applicable to every to every link in the chain.
0: Right. So. Okay, so my, in my research, I'm, I'm comparing Goinka Vipassana with Somatic Experiencing, which is a body-centered trauma therapy developed by Peter Levine. And so both of them, Goenka and Levine both say, yeah, you, the, the, that suffer, suffering is being stuck in a cycle in which you have overwhelming body sensation arise, and that gives rise to overwhelming reactive emotion And then you fall into that reactive emotion and then that, and then that leads to acting out in some way. So it could be like a traumatic flashback or some kind of acting out where like you're, you're overwhelmed by the sensation and you're overwhelmed by the emotion. And then that leads to some kind of reactive acting out. So then they both say the key to getting out of that is going back to the sensation and then being aware of the emotional reaction. And then instead of well, you know, they, they they say the the goal is to detach sensation from emotion, and the way you do that is you develop awareness of sensation and equanimity towards sensation. You build up your capacity to be with sensation, uh, and so then instead of being carried away by the emotional reaction, you're able to let go of it. So, so the two of them really fo- again, I mean, we've already been saying this, but they really focus on the zone of sensation and then the craving which is an intention or an emotion and then the grasping which is like an acting out on it um so i'm so i i I like that a lot and i'm like highly attached to it like (laughs) (laughs) it, (laughs) it seems so straightforward and then and if i look at the 16 exercises it seems to work within the sixteen exercises that it's over and over again. You're talking about being aware of sensation and then some reaction and letting go of that reaction. Um, so I know Tony Saro. He'll talk about the the path of practice overall is like you're trying to upgrade the quality of your sensations. You're trying to wean yourself off of gross level sensation and the craving and aversion that comes from that. So it's like you want to cultivate more refined, more subtle sensation and get nourishment from that so that you can let go of the craving and grasping on the grosser level. Yeah. So it seems yeah. like in that, in that case, there seems to be broad agreement between Goenka, Levine, and Tani Saro, just talking about it in that sense.
1: Oh, I, I, I think so. Um, there's a... A pattern of uh you know recognizing uh what's causing a problem and uh trying to distance
2: yourself from that, uh,
0: that phenomena and, and so then so one one the way the way tani sarah talks about the 16 exercises and the way ajan sujato talks about it that um it's different from the later Theravada scholastic understanding. So the later Theravada scholastic understanding, which comes from Buddha Gosa, they have a different understanding of what the meditative absorptions are, also known as the, the jhanas. Um, according to Tani Saro and according to Ajahn Sujato, the, the 16 exercises are talking about a progression in which you're going through the four jhanas and then you're getting to... Um, the fourth jhana is like a basis then to contemplate impermanence, which then can trigger the experience of, of nirvana. Um, whereas the, the Buddha goes to understanding of the meditative absorptions. Um, well, okay. Let me just say that, that, that the way Tani Sarabhiko talks about the four jhanas, it's a practice in which you're aware of your whole body as opposed to being aware of just a single point And, um so in the 16 exercises the 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 second set of four it talks about aware of joy aware of bliss aware of uh, mental fabrications and then calming mental fabrications and so one way to interpret that is that that is that is the four jhanas that's being talked about Um, and so my understanding is that's that's how Tani Saro sees it. And when he talks about the four jhanas, he's just he he brings up certain texts in the in the Pali Canon in which the four jhanas are described as an awareness of your whole body and awareness of all the sensation in your body. Um so so my attachment to the (laughs) to, to focusing on body sensation, uh I see that, and that way of talking about the jhanas is that, is that again, you're, you're talking about the links of dependence to talk about the jhanas. You're still talking about the links. You're still talking about awareness of body sensation. And then it's like more refined level of body sensation. And then as a result, like more refined level of meditative absorption that's happening.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah, that, 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 definitely, that definitely, um, lays onto the map.
0: Right. So later later Theravada Buddhism, like when you have Buddha Gosa, who is like this famous scholastic, scholastic Theravada, go, traces a lot of their doctrine back to, um, he talks about instead of awareness of the whole body, they talk about awareness of the breath body. Instead of awareness of the whole physical body, they talk about awareness of the breath body. Mm-hmm. And then when they talk about meditative absorption, they'll talk about you're aware of a nimitta, which is like a subtle, a subtle sign, a subtle object of awareness. Yeah. And that when you're in meditative absorption, you're, not, you're no longer aware of your body and mind. You're, you're in a, uh, an immersion in which you're no longer aware of the body and mind. And so that's a big difference between what Tanya Saro is saying. The Buddha said that no, in the four jhanas you're aware of your whole body and mind.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a <laughs> the sticky wicket of um, uh, Buddhist meditation teachers. Um, you know, the nature of jhanas and, and, and such. Um, but I, I think that's a safe um, way to look at, say, uh, as the jhanas are formulated in the Visuddhimagga, and then it, as that then informs later Theravada and much of current meditation teachings that comes out of that Vesuvi uh, that is different from what you find in the writings before in the suttas.
0: And so this is like one of the big. Okay, yeah. So so the what what's known as the Western Vipassana movement. Which is like Insight Meditation Society, Spirit Rock, mindfulness-based stress reduction. Um, that that's coming from the Mahasi Sayadaw tradition, which is a Burmese meditation tradition, and it's talked about as a, a path of dry insight, mm-hmm. meaning that you're not going into the meditative absorptions. You're you're just you're developing enough mindfulness to where you can just be aware of phenomena aware of body, aware of feeling tone, aware of thoughts. And um, so that's based on this Buddhaghosa understanding of jhanas as you're just focused on a single point and you're no longer aware of your body and mind. Uh,
1: y- yes and no. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Buddhaghosa actually talks about full-blown jhana experience. in Mahasi Sayadaw, Um uh is not focused on developing the these jhanas as you find in the sudi he wants to bypass that altogether
0: right yeah so the dry the dry inside is you don't you don't need the jhanas you just need an access concentration and then with access concentration then you can just you can be aware of whatever phenomena of body and mind is arising and you just reflect it's impermanent it's suffering it's no self and that reflection itself will deepen your practice and result in realizing nirvana
2: yeah yeah
0: okay so what's interesting then is that goenka Ubakin and Ubakin developed a form of vipassana meditation as we've been saying that where you're, the main practice is uh, the body scan and within the five links but the, his 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 uh, theoretical world in which he developed that is the buddha gosa world so goenka vipassana will will be presented as another form of dry insight meaning that they don't do the absorptions but when you when you hear about their description of how the path progresses they're saying you go you're going from awareness of gross body sensation to subtle body sensation and that when you're in touch with subtle body sensation that can give rise to subtle um, experiences of of joy or happiness so my feeling is they they are actually talking about the early jhanas they just don't know it or <laughs> that they're using that, yeah go
1: ahead uh, I, said, I think that happens uh, and i i think yeah. that happens with like uh, mahasi tradition and others and you mm-hmm. have uh, people developing these extremely calm states of mm-hmm. reflection introspection uh, tranquilizing body and mind and they start slipping or going into uh, these states that would other be otherwise be called jhanas, and they're not uh, on their maps, so to speak. Uh, yeah. You find that um, you find these uh, things called the like insight, or are they called the insight jhanas. Um, yeah. The yeah, yeah, yeah. So they yeah. developed a new set of jhanas, so they didn't have right. to have other ones, which maybe are just the same thing. I, I, I don't know, but I. I I would just hazard to guess that if you're really practicing any of these techniques, and you get to that point where you are putting yourself in the right conditions, you're going to experience. Yeah. John.
0: So that's a, it's almost like um, Ubekin reinvented the sixteen exercises. That, that that's almost how I see it. Like he's uh, unknowingly has reinvented um the four jhanas it's he just talks about it as like a spectrum of phenomena that you can be aware of and i mean so this is the big thing that awareness of sensation from gross sensation to subtle sensation that's such a huge range of phenomenological experience and so it's like if you see the jhanas as just representing different levels of subtlety of sensation that you can experience. And then based on that level of subtlety, the, the feeling of happiness, the feeling of uh, pity or sukha, the joy, ecstatic joy. And then sukha is kind of more the mellow, blissful, peaceful feeling. And then you just get to equanimity itself. You're just, you're just present equanimity that that's, you can see that as reflecting awareness of different levels of subtlety of sensation. And then again, seeing sensation as part of the five links. So there's like this built in logic of you're weaning yourself off of gross sensation by getting into subtle sensation. And then eventually, ultimately you're going beyond sensation completely. Um, but yeah, but there's a it's a progression through levels of sensation within the links.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the four jhanas are feeling jhanas, mm-hmm. form. They're, they're based, they're called form, you know, the form jhanas sometimes, and they're uh, based in bodily feeling. Uh, right. In, yeah. in all four. Uh, <clears throat> and then, of course, y- you can really see that the difference when you have the, the immaterial or the formless jhanas. Mm-hmm. Perception-based, so you have lost uh, focus or primary concern uh, on form and feeling, and you're in perception, perceptual territory mainly.
0: Right. And so, have you like? Okay, so this is the thing. This is what drives me crazy: is uh it seems like the four jhanas are within the earliest teaching of the Buddha. If we see the sixteen exercises as taking one through the four jhanas and then realizing Nibbana. Um, the four jhanas seem to be in the earliest texts. Um, what do we know about the the four formless jhanas, which are, so that there's, there's, in the tradition, sees eight total. And so are the second four, were they around at the time of the Buddha or is it a later development or?
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, also, you know, my my divination pool is getting murky. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's different schools of thought on this, and uh, it can range all the way from um, the formless jhanas are the path towards liberation themselves. Yeah, yeah. Like, they are necessary, and you find that in the you can you can justify that in the early text according to some some. Yeah. People. Um, Of course, we know that the Buddha, before he taught, while he was out learning, was instructed on how to achieve two of the formless jhanas.
2: Right, right.
1: So, in theory, he was practicing these practices before he came around and, and, and formulated his own path. Right. So, he was familiar with them. So, I would think that they're... Um, understood to be practices that were probably being done by other mystic shramanas. Mm-hmm. Um, they're never called formless jhanas in the text. This is a later idea right. that they're jhanas. Yeah. Because yeah. kind of they're oftentimes listed after the four jhanas, but yeah. they're not, they're, they're never called that in the text. So um, I think of them as ways to um, habituate the mind and and wean it off of certain tendencies, um, which then later helps you know helps helps you in, in the other practice the other jhana practice.
0: Because okay, so the um, okay, so is it like so? So Tiny will he'll talk about uh descriptions of the jhanas in what he sees as early texts. so one of the jhana uh, one of the descriptions is like um a person is uh this bath like they had, the soap that they used uh wasn't a bar of soap it was a powder and you mix it with water and you knead it like dough uh and you make it like where the water permeates all of the dough and you get it it's like suffused yeah and so he's using that as a metaphor that your your awareness of your body sensation you're like being aware of all of your all of the different parts of your body um, and that that's that's the experience of entering entering into the first jhanas through that uh, sort of like a body scan practice you could say and then and then the next jhanas are just continuing on that theme where you're aware of your whole body and then um, there's just levels of absorption that occur um and so there's there's a discourse called with five factors and so it 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 goes through the four descriptions and then it said the buddha says then there's a fifth meditation that's the meditation that's suitable for reflection i can't remember the pali name for it but it's basically saying you master the first four jhanas and then that serves as a basis for a deeper realization so he he describes it like a like a water tank is full of water and it's, you just knock out a wall and the whole thing falls over. So he's saying like realizing nirvana is like you filled up the tank and then it doesn't take much just to make the whole thing spill over. So the four jhanas is like filling up the tank. And then it sounds like in that discourse, it says, you know, then you can realize whatever you want to realize. So it sounds like people would develop the four jhanas and then they would use it for different purposes, like to develop psychic powers or develop the formless jhanas or whatever um so it's almost like it's almost like he's saying okay yeah we want to we want to develop these four jhanas which maybe people have already been doing as part of the overall yogic movement at the time of the buddha and then the buddha saying now once i've developed those four jhanas then i want to use it for this one particular specific job of well uh, within the 16 exercises it's awareness of impermanence so if you if you think of the jhanas as awareness of sensation and then awareness of impermanence means awareness of impermanence via the experience of sensation and then that gives rise to dispassion and then that gives rise to realizing nirvana um so the general idea though is like the the four jhanas are kind of like the foundation from which other realizations can occur
1: yes I think that that's certainly how they're um, used and, and, and talked about. But there's also a, an idea that the jhanas themselves correctly developed are the actualization themselves of those things that you're trying to achieve.
2: Right, right.
1: So the, yeah. the jhanas themselves are the actualization of wisdom.
0: Yes, yes
1: and, knowledge, yeah.
0: Yeah. and that like um, okay yeah so that, this is why I think yeah if, if if you don't think of rebirth and rebirth being caused by craving as central to practice uh, then you might not see this so much but if you see it as okay we're talking about different levels of desire that cause rebirth on different planes of existence or reality um, and that when you're in the jhanas, it means you've let go of gross level craving and aversion, which causes rebirth on a gross level. Uh, so now you're at a subtle level. And so then you that that is a moment of wisdom because you're you you're you're not being reborn on a lower level, you're you're being reborn on a more higher refined level. Yeah. And so like the jhanas is like a way of kind of dunking yourself in that more subtle level <laughs> as a way to realize that that's possible and then but also like oh yeah like it makes you want to let go of what would cause you to be reborn on a lower level is like again this idea of like weaning yourself off of something um so if we just if we define wisdom as um you know favorable rebirth and then ultimately liberation from rebirth that the four jhanas can be seen as an experience in which at least temporarily you're no longer craving for rebirth on a, on a grosser plane. You're, you're at a more refined, subtle plane.
2: Uh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. So is that, is that what you mean then in terms of like the jhanas represent wisdom? Cause it's representing, Oh, a letting go of desire
1: mm-hmm. and seems- a
0: letting go of becoming. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, it's not as if you uh, reach the jhana and then do the um, exercise. It's, right jhana is the result of your insight and your discernment and the actualization of changing your mind and then the jhana is the result of that
0: right yeah so the whole 16 exercises is just a steady progression through that process so um so they'll say like just to get into the first jhana you have to overcome the five hindrances so like uh sensual craving uh sensual aversion uh sloth and torpor restlessness and agitation doubt so just just becoming aware of your breathing and your body and then letting go of those reactions that's like kind of the the first thing you're weaning yourself off of those kind of gross level reactions and then that then you're in the first round of you're aware of your whole body and mind and and the five hindrances are not arising and then like, okay, then the next level is, yeah, the experience of the ecstatic joy. And that ecstatic, if you're experiencing that ecstatic joy, it means you're in touch with a more subtle level. So it's, it's a higher, it's higher quality desire, we could say.
2: <laughs> yeah. So in
0: that moment of enjoying that ecstatic joy, it's also a moment of leaving behind a more gross level uh, joy.
1: Right. There's uh no more in, in joy coming from the outside it's that upwelling spring of joy that uh it's a metaphor in the, in the suttas you know this the spring welling up uh, in the lotus pond
0: yeah so in buddha and the buddha describing the early the four the four jhanas, that's one of the descriptions is yeah like you're you've reached an experience of seclusion from the outside sensory input and then as a result, there's some like internal regeneration that starts happening kind of automatically as a result.
1: Yeah, that internal uh, joy and such is much uh, more interesting and and, uh, fulfilling. And that's why I think maybe it's a static state. It's something maybe a lot of people haven't experienced in that kind of way. So it's quite a, a jolt to the system.
0: Yeah, it's like, wow, I'm getting this experience of happiness that's better than the normal worldly happiness, and it's it's coming from inside me. It's not dependent on something outside of me. It's like, well, wow. Like, that's, that's a big discovery. Yeah. I, so I think that's one of the other issues, is that um, a lot of teaching about Vipassana meditation in the West has become uh within the realm of lay practice so the the monastic practice has kind of been lost sight of and so then the the monastic precepts you know committing for celibacy not and taking intoxicants things like that um so the the centrality of desire and then the, the the centrality of trying to wean yourself off of gross level desire to get to more subtle level of desire uh so that experience of that ecstatic joy um traditionally one of the main ingredients that would go into causing that is keeping monastic precepts that 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 would be one of the central components that allows you to experience this feeling of like like we're saying this this spring of water coming up from inside of yourself
1: yeah the the, the precepts and Mm -hmm. i think also the physical kind of seclusion uh, from the day-to-day life of householder life you know you're so involved with everything and so the opportunity to not be involved and in thinking about all the things that are going on that's a monastic life yeah <laughs> or, or you know on retreat which is just you know i think why that's so popular and sometimes why people say that's the only time they can settle down yeah as uh, a uh, you know the western practitioner uh dharma practitioner Meditation student, they are they are not changing their their household or their, their lifestyle. They're just adding another component right. to sort of maybe de-stress a little, or you know, uh, have some sort of uh, peace and tranquility. But um, it's very difficult to actually take that uh, household duty life. And, and combine it with uh, monastic expectations yeah meditation
0: yeah and so i mean so that's one thing in my research is like you know trying to compare going vipassana with somatic experiencing and so then like how can how can these teachings how can the body scan practice uh be used to create greater happiness within a person's experience even if they're a householder right you don't like so it's not that these principles can't be applied to a householder context and so that so the idea is like um i see somatic experiencing as kind of like a practice of going of vipassana that's done uh as a one-on-one it's like a contemplative practice that you're doing in relationship with someone else and that yes it does bring about a level of awareness and equanimity towards body sensation and it does bring about a certain inner happiness and peace
2: mm-hmm.
0: so it's not to say that these principles cannot be applied to the lay context but yeah i think if, if we think of the mangala sutta that the the overall ecosystem it's lay people and monastics and that it's a multiple lifetime project and so I think one of the issues is people get like an insecurity complex. Like they think uh, what, why, why is what I'm doing not any different than what the monastics are doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's um, missing out from having a more holistic view of the whole ecosystem. Um, but then again, like I'm saying, I, we, there does need to be further development of how can the teachings be applied into a lay context, which is I'm a lay person now too. So that's, I, I mean, I'm trying to do that myself um but how can we do that without watering down the monastic precepts and then the understanding of the jhanas uh, and the experience you have of the jhanas when you're in retreat or if you're keeping monastic precepts
1: that's that's the, the that's the question and dilemma and you'll see common uh thought or common wisdom that uh lay people will never be able to achieve the you have mm-hmm. to, you know, go be a monk to do that. But if you look at the the, the canon, the, the suttas, there were stream winners left and right who were uh, lay people, lay folk.
2: Right, right, um, right.
1: You don't yeah. become a, a sotapanna <laughs> with uh, lukewarm meditation skills. So it's really a lot of, I think, comes down to understanding what's going on and, and what's required um, as opposed... to to, to facilitate those changes
0: yeah yeah to not be yeah not to be attached to an outer form but just like what's the actual mechanics and like yeah where am i at in the process how do i do yeah
1: what's what's the point of this meditation is it just to hold my attention longer and longer at the tip of my nose (laughs) (laughs) yeah to blank out all my thoughts for longer and longer periods of time is that you know if you follow that path on and on for that's
0: that's not gonna get you there. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we're about out of time, but uh that is yeah, kind of a quick a quick jump into comparing what we see as early Buddhist more like sensory behavioral yogic uh practice and then later later Buddhist more kind of scholastic cognitive practice. Um, and then, yeah, so this, this understanding of the first four jhanas as being central to what the Buddha taught and that it's a awareness of a whole body experience and that, um, the links of dependent origination can be used as a way to frame the experience. And, um, this general idea of like, um, practicing in such a way that you're, you're cultivating wholesome. Uh, states of body and mind and then enjoying that wholesome happiness that comes from that as a way to wean yourself off of uh, less wholesome or (laughs) more reactive states of body and mind
1: beautiful
0: cool
2: all right so that's it